This week's episode of Discovering Trek is brought to you exclusively by Fansets. Keep listening for this week's special discount offer code just for Discovering Trek listeners. Discover a whole new universe of pin collectibles with Fansets online at fansets.com. A speech to end all speeches. A fight to end all fights. And an amazing farewell to the universe that I love so much. Episode 13 wrapped up a bunch of loose threads in the Mirror Universe, and we got to see what really drove Gabriel Lorca. With so many things going on in Episode 4 of this Mirror Universe arc, I think we should just get right into the discussion, because it could take a full nine months to get everything sorted out. I'm your host, Dan Davidson, and we are Discovering Trek. Welcome one and all to Discovering Trek, the Star Trek Discovery Companion, presented by Fansets. This week saw what appears to be the last adventure in the Mirror Universe, at least for this season of Discovery, and it wrapped up in a remarkable and explosive way, (laughs) literally. Uh, Episode 13 had perhaps the best Star Trek moment in its history, as well as an epic fisticuffs battle scene, and we'll be talking about all that and a lot more in just a few minutes. Again, my name is Dan Davidson, and we hope you enjoy today's discussion. You know, Discovering Trek is the premier podcast for the most in-depth discussion and analysis about the latest episode of Star Trek Discovery entitled, What's Past is Prologue. We'll be talking about so many great parts of this episode, uh, so we just don't know where to begin, to be honest. And when I say we, well... As my good buddy Bill Smith is away this week, we figured now would be a great time to have auditions. Uh, I mean, a special guest host for the week. Sorry about that. You know, Bill and I had the opportunity to hang out and get to know this guy last year at STLV, and he is just the definition of what a great Trek fan is. In late 2017, he joined the podcast universe with his own unique show called Politrex over on the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network. His name is Barry DeFord, and Barry, i got to say, welcome to Discovering Trek, and since you're my temporary number one, should I or should I not be comparing you to Commander Shelby from TNG? What do you think? Well, like Picard said about Shelby, um, you could say that I often need supervision, and I take the initiative normally with risks. Does that also apply I'm applying for Bill's job? (laughs) Well, you said that, not me. Well, it is great to be here, Dan. My name is Barry DeFord, and I'm one of the co-hosts on Politrex over on the Tricorder Transmissions Podcast Network with my brother in Trek, Shashank Avaru. On Politrex, we we discuss current events, politics, religion, society, and all through the lens of Star Trek. And think of it kind of like a really big sensor analysis like you would do here on the show. But we span every series of Trek to suss out the political, moral, ethical, sometimes spiritual elements of our world that Trek and its characters represent. It's a lot of fun, and we're going to be having some really great guests on soon, too. And when is when else is it okay to talk politics around the replicator, right? So that's, yeah, that's basically the, the podcast in a nutshell. Absolutely. Well, you're doing a great job over there, and we're really thrilled that you're here. Um, it's great to have you here to help steer the course in this latest discussion. And also joining us tonight, Barry, is someone who has been heard many times here uh, on Trek Geeks and Discovering Trek. And I believe that he is the first repeat guest here on Discovering Trek. 
Indeed he is, Dan. You've seen him fire the phasers while serving on Captain Archer's Enterprise, and you've heard him rank all kinds of amazing things over on Trek Ranks, uh, the podcast, and the website. Both are a great reference for me during my rewatches of every series, and I highly recommend it for any of the Trek fans old and new. He's Enterprise Extra himself, Mr. Jim Morehouse, a fellow member of the Tricorder Transmissions family. Jim, thanks for being here with Dan and me to talk episode Lucky 13. Trek Ranks is happy to be in the house, but but uh, Barry, you do an end run around Bill again. I will snap you back so fast. You'll think you're a first-year cadet again. <laughs> <laughs> wow, we're not going to go that. We're not going to start. It sounds like Bill's here, actually. I'm just, I'm just, just defending Bill. I love it. I, I'm so happy to be back. And what a great episode we get to talk about. It's it's amazing. Oh, absolutely. And and Jim, man, it's great to have you back on the show. Uh, I want to give you uh, very special thanks for the shout out in your latest episode of Trek Ranks this week when you listed the top five one-off heroes in Star Trek. You mentioned Tosk was on your list at one point and you know how much that episode means to me of course yep. i'm talking about captain pursuit so i i certainly appreciated it thank you very much yeah i was fired up that uh that he made the list a to- he is tosk and he deserves to be on that <laughs> list but uh i have a strong feeling that you're going to have a lot to say about this latest episode of discovery so before we get into that barry why don't you tell our listeners how they can get in touch with us to give their thoughts on episode 13 or maybe whether you should be the no the new permanent co-host of discovering trek priority one message from starfleet coming in on secured channel Hi, Captain. Hailing frequencies are open and we're transmitting across the entire mycelial network in all universes, timelines, and on all channels. You can find us on Twitter at at Discovering Trek and on Facebook, we can be found at facebook.com slash Discovering Trek. There you can join in on the discussion and leave us comments, questions, or suggestions. Plus, don't forget that you can also send us a voicemail directly and now it's easier than ever. Just go to trekgeeks.com and click on the giant blue button by the right-hand side. Please remember, though, that any comments that you leave may be used in an upcoming episode of Discovering Trek. Dan? Thanks, Barry. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. Spoiler alert. From here on in, this episode of Discovering Trek contains spoilers. So if you haven't watched episode 13 of Star Trek Discovery, stop listening right now. Head on over to CBS All Access and watch the latest episode. Failure to do that puts you at risk to find out plot developments and character details. For what's past is prologue. Previously on Star Trek Discovery. What? He's been Mirror Lorca all along? Gabriel Lorca speaks to his devotees after having freed them from their agony booths. Among them is Mirror Landry. He tells her that he's going to reclaim the Empire, and he tells her that he has a plan. Think about it for a second. Lucius Malfoy just told a Cylon he has a plan. That's awesome. They make their way to Stamets' laboratory on the Charon, and Mirror Stamets is hiding behind some kind of holographic wall. There isn't a lot of smiles and happiness here. It was Stamets who sold Lorca out to the Emperor. We then hear how Lorca made his way to the Prime Universe. When the Emperor's ship caught up to the Buran, he fled into an ion storm. 
the interference caused the transporter malfunction that sent Lorca to our universe. Lorca wants Stamets to show him the biological weapon he has been developing for the Emperor. Lorca begins by using it on the Emperor's troops. Burnham tells Giorgio that Lorca is trying to draw her out by manipulating her. They have some disagreement, and ultimately, Emperor Giorgio orders Burnham taken to the brig. She manages to escape the throne room. The USS Discovery is still en route to the USS Charon. The spore drive is ready and available, but Prime Stamets was unable to save the ship's mycelium crop. He's concerned that Mirror Stamets already infected their destroyed crop beyond rescue. Stamets explains that the Terrans are using the mycelial network to power the ISS Charon and give it unimaginable power. But the way they are extracting that power is exactly what's poisoning the entire network. Back on the Charon, Lorca speaks to all hands and invites anyone aboard to join his crew to depose the Emperor. He also orders Michael Burnham is not touched. She's a key part of his plan. The Emperor gets a fix on Lorca's location and heads towards him with her men. Georgiou's group meets Lorca's group in the hallway. They battle, there's phaser fire, flash grenades, ambushes, force fields, and many deaths by way of sparkly red vaporization. In the end, Lorca's group wins the firefight, but Georgiou makes an emergency sight-to-sight transport and evades him. Burnham is hiding out in a Jeffrey's tube, attempting to get a signal out to the Discovery. She makes contacts and tells Saru about Lorca. Stamets puts the pieces together now and realizes that Lorca altered the coordinates of his final jump instead of taking them back to Starbase 46. Burnham tells them that Lorca is staging a coup against the Emperor and that they all should stay away from the Charon. If the Discovery gets involved, the Terran Empire may try to invade their own universe. Stamets tells her that won't matter if the mycelial infection spreads because it will pretty much destroy all life. Stamets believes firing a photon torpedo on their giant sphere of mycelial energy would sever the ship's ties to the network. The only problem is there's a containment field around it. Burnham says she'll handle it and signal them when it's ready. Lorca's men enter the Emperor's throne room, and Lorca takes the Emperor's sword. Saying he's outlived his usefulness, he kills Mirror Stamets. Landry notifies him of an unauthorized transmission to the Discovery. Burnham is making her way through the Charon's decks when Lorca goes shipwide to make contact with her. He invites her to stay with him in this universe and abandon the failed social experiment of the Federation. With her, he wants to bring peace to the Mirror Universe. It sure seems like he's stalling, but by the time Landry closes in on her position, it turns out that Burnham has already rerouted the feed and moved to another location. Burnham finds Georgiou in the Emperor's Sanctuary. They compare their losses. All versions of Burnham seem to have betrayed all versions of Georgiou. Burnham vows to stop Lorca. Georgiou asks what her plan is. She wants to disable the containment field around the mycelial energy ball. Georgiou tells her that those controls are in the throne room. Of course they are. Prime Stamets tells Discovery's crew that the run on the Charon's engines is going to be a lot harder than first thought. They'll have to use all of the energy from the remaining spores, which means they can't get home. Also, the resulting blast will also incinerate them through uh, the Discovery shields. Saru gets an inspirational speech about their capabilities and not accepting no-win scenarios. Lorca now controls the Charon. Burnham and the Emperor come to the throne room. 
Burnham says she knows Lorca to claim the throne. He must kill the Emperor. She offers the Emperor and herself in exchange for letting the Discovery and her crew leave unharmed. Tilly believes she's found a way to sort out the whole problem of dying while being incinerated thing. She believes that they can ride the mycelial shockwave that will result from the destruction of the Charon and let Stamets navigate them home and that, perhaps, a warp bubble will give them more time to escape. Stamets likes the idea. The Discovery receives a signal from Burnham to drop out of warp, and they're immediately hailed by Lorca. He tells them that his admiration for the crew was always sincere. He also says that Burnham will be staying behind, and Saru wants to hear it from her with his own ears. Burnham confirms, this is my place. Saru realizes the message she's trying to deliver and makes several looks and nods at the Discovery's bridge officers. She's telling him where to aim, and Saru opens fire on the Charon without hesitation. A massive hand-to-hand fight ensues in the throne room. The fight ends with Burnham holding a phaser to Lorca, and it's set to kill. She tells Lorca that they would have helped him get home if he had just asked. That's who Starfleet is. It's who she is, and it's why she won't kill him now. Just as the Emperor jams her sword through Lorca's back and straight through his heart. She opens the trap door and kicks his body into the heart of the mycelial engine. Hashtag Crispy Lorca. Lorca's troops storm the throne room. Georgiou knows her reign as Emperor is over and offers to hold them off so Burnham can get back to the Discovery. The Discovery beams Burnham back aboard, but at the last second she grabs Georgiou and beams out with her. Landry orders the Charon to target the Discovery. The Discovery makes its run and fires a series of photon torpedoes at the mycelial engine of the Charon. They go to warp to try to ride the wave. The spore drive engages, and they make the jump into the network. Stamets sees the network regenerating as he starts to become lost in the network. Then he remembers what Colbert told him, to follow the music and open his eyes. He sees the clearing in the forest, completes the jump, and the discovery arrives back in what is then confirmed to be their Alpha Quadrant. However, they also overshot the date by nine months. Starfleet is hailed, and they get no response from the Federation when they try to make contact. They pull up a map of the Alpha Quadrant, only to discover that the Klingons have won the war. Well, Barry, I gotta tell you, uh, you are quickly cementing your spot on Season 2 of Discovering Trek with a recap like that. Very well done, sir. Very well done, indeed. Thank you very much. Okay, so... Here we go. We got a lot to talk about tonight. So let's give a very high level uh, thumbs up or thumbs down on this episode. I kind of have a feeling where we're all going to be on this. Uh, Jim, let's start with you as our guest this week. Uh, Thumbs up or thumbs down and some high level thoughts on what we saw uh, on Discovering Trek last night. Well, you know, because it's what we do over at Trek Race, I'm going to start with our uh, with a quick five words and a hashtag, which is Georgiou. Burnham and Lorca doing battle. Hashtag Burnham wins. Sort of big thumbs up on my, on my end. I I love this episode. It was a fantastic conclusion to the to the awesome four episode mirror universe arc that they that they've had here in the second half of the year. So really tied up everything well for me from you know, Lorca's Very. yeah Lorca's you know everything he was up to throughout the. The first few episodes, and then some of the 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 uh, mysteries of the mycelial network, and 
you know, all of Burnham's battles. I just, I just love the way this thing, uh, this thing wrapped up a lot of, a lot of loose ends on the mirror side. And we still got two episodes to go to figure out how it all concludes. I love it. Another cliffhanger episode. I don't know if my heart can take much more of it. It's <laughs> funny. You, you talk about mirror universe and everybody knows how much I love the mirror universe, but I do have to say in deep space nine and some of the later episodes, the whole Kira only had one thing on her mind aspect, got a little bit slow. And, but I'll tell you what, they, they ramped it up in the mirror universe in these four episodes. And I absolutely loved it for me. Thumbs up, both thumbs, all my fingers, all my toes, high fives all around, baby. It was just awesome. An incredible wrap up to the mirror universe adventure. Uh, and yet they're still, like I just said, they're able to end the episode on a cliffhanger. How can how can we take this? Uh, fans must have been going crazy last night. You know, we're finally done the Mirror Universe, all kinds of fights and explosions. And then they get back and the Klingons have taken over. I, I, what's next? Barry, what do you think? Thumbs up? I kind of think you had a thumbs up. Yeah, yeah. No, it was definitely two thumbs up. And actually, I'm going to give it a, a Georgiou high foot for good measure as well. Um, the action in <laughs> the, the action in this was like, it was dynamic. It was fluid. I've spent about 30 years in karate and various martial arts. And I really, really enjoyed the way they put that fight scene together. There was a lot of just to the way they were manipulating arms and stuff. There was elements of of different martial arts you could see like wushu krav maga um you know taekwondo karate all kind of coming into one there basically um i believe it was mentioned uh, that uh, we've come a long way from arena so uh, <laughs> that, that's definitely a big thing <laughs> it's also really great to see michelle yo's skills as a capable and artful fighter i, I was happy to see her in the first uh, the first uh, episode's just being a good captain and stuff, but there was a little, a little piece of me that has watched a lot of her martial arts movies and kind of hoping that that would show up. So it, it was fantastic. The tension in the fight, it was visceral. Um, I also loved the episodes focus on the folly of believing just in destiny, that kind of entitled, uh, idea that your greatness is preordained. And I would say that Burnham kind of brings that forward that no you forge your own path but i i would say that said i hope she knows that she also gets by with a little help from her friends and i think we all do and i think that will factor in as we see this crew really find its stride as a unit and that's because of saru he's the captain he needs to be he's coming to his own he didn't need the whole show to steal it for me uh, i jumped when he yelled fire his speech to the crew that this is our ship he embodies the essence of starfleet and that was just something that really drew me into this episode he he said he was surrounded by a team he can trust that's kirk picard cisco janeway and archer embodied right there we watched him become a captain in this episode yeah, we're going to we're going to talk about the speech in Saru later on. It really was great. The fight scene was just amazing. The special effects were it was just, you know, for the past couple of weeks I'm like, okay, this is my favorite episode so far this season. And then the next one shows up and I'm saying the same thing. And then the next one. So, uh they are they are pulling out all the stops uh in that writers room. We love them for it and we can't wait to see what happens in the next two episodes. But we are still going to be talking just about what's past this prologue tonight. So let's, uh, let's talk about a couple things in general, gentlemen. And the first one, I'm going to start with the biggest bang first. And that was <laughs> the destruction of the Charon. And I thought it was Sharon. So they corrected us uh, during the episode last night. That was a magnificent starship. And it all went boom. And it went boom in a big way. And Jim, one of the things that it reminded me of 
uh, as it was coming by and doing the flyby was that scene in Insurrection when the Enterprise destroyed the array. That popped into my head. But for me, this one was about a thousand times better than the one in Insurrection. Yeah, I thought of that too. And you must have brought that up because everyone knows how much I love Insurrection. Love it. <laughs> that uh, I mean, that ship was amazing and epic. And my favorite thing about that was that the tie-in of the the energy source to the mycelial network. That was just really well done and clever. How that uh, you know is part of the whole season. It's funny that you bring that up because when we found out in the episode that that great ball of fire uh, was the mycelial network. I was like, oh my gosh, it's great that they're explaining it because over the last week or two weeks, because we caught a glimpse of it a couple episodes ago, Bill and I were talking as to what that power source actually was. Was it a small star? Was it a tiny event horizon somehow encased so that that black hole could power the the starship? And Bill actually even suggested to me a few days ago that it would be protomatter. And of course, we all know David Marcus probably would love that idea, but luckily it wasn't. But I think another example of the writing staff really getting it and understanding what they need to do in the story by tying the mycelial network into what powers this massive starship. Uh, Barry, what do you think about that? I yeah, I know I agree fully that uh, that they're they're really trying to pull, pull in sort of an organic plus technological feel to it, but still still honoring previous Star Treks and and as uh, as Jim would say, you know, it's it all counts because I felt them riding the explosion through a warp bubble was a callback to two thousand and nine Star Trek, and I think that's really important that we don't forget any of our roots, even if it is only what you know uh, 9 years ago so yeah the 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 development of of the caron the, it's it's sheer size it was a beautiful thing to see and it was a beautiful thing to watch go boom <laughs> yeah it, it, when you said that Barry, it, that it all counts is perfect i want to highlight that because everything every little nugget they've put into these stories across i mean we knew it was going to be serialized but the extent of the way it all connects from the first episode to Number 13 and 14 and 15 to come is is epic. They've done such a good job with that from the production side. I think I, I want to say, did you say it was only nine years ago that Star Trek 2009 <laughs> came out? I'm trying to Thanks feel for better. making me feel very old. <laughs> nine oh, man. years. The reboot at nine years. <laughs> it gets it gets better, I hear. So uh, yeah, no, I remember thinking about that too because I'm like, oh wow, that's so cool. Because I was at a I was at a friend's house watching it on a on a big screen. I'll mention more of that later. But uh, one of their one of their kids were watching, and I'm like, oh wow, you know that was from Star Trek in 2009, and they're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, no, it, you know, it was just you know just about ten years ago, and they're like, oh, I was four. I'm like, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it would have been great if Saru gave a do it, do it, do it. That would have been, yeah. just, that would have been the whole scene. But clearly, you go. Anyway. <laughs> All right, so we had a great explosion, great starship. I'm hoping that we see uh, more of that starship somewhere along the line. Fan sets, hint, hint, but we'll see. Um, let's talk about Lorca because, of course, Lorca was the central part of this episode. I think, and uh, what I wanted to focus in on specifically was his obsession with Burnham. Uh, You could see it was evident throughout the whole story. Uh, He wanted her not harmed. He had plans, even though this wasn't his Burnham, he kind of figured that it could be that way. And 
And we saw the way that he was walking towards her just before he met his untimely death. Um, for me, Barry, and I'm going to ask you this question. I thought that that his whole plan of conquering the emperor and becoming the new ruler of the empire um, was destroyed by this obsession with Michael. If he had not been like that, I think there was a pretty good chance he would have won. I would say very much, and this is uh, quoting a, a famous poet from the late 1980s, uh, stabbed through the heart and he's to blame. He gives love a bad name. Um, I really do think that that he became obsessed with his entitlement to this to this character. He he wants he wants Burnham, and he doesn't care who. Right, the other Burnham's dead. Mm-hmm. Eh, whatever, move on. And you're right that that does lead to his downfall. He felt like everything was was his. That it would just land in his lap, and that he was just preordained to have all of these things. So, yeah, I, I really think that um, Burnham's actions in in knowing that that's what he was after was uh, was wonderful because she was able to uh, to play him like a fiddle to a degree and i don't think she necessarily wanted him to die in that situation we'll talk about that more too but yeah no he is the architect of his own demise i i can't believe you're 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 quoting poetry when Lorca clearly hates poetry as he said last night <laughs> exactly <laughs> wow that's harsh and, and a great poet to boot that you did quote Barry, I got to say. Um, so Jim, uh, Barry just talked about it. Uh, it was, it was really great to see Michael turn the tides and manipulate Lorca after all the manipulation that he had done over the first 12 episodes of discovery and how he made everybody think that they were doing the right thing based on what they wanted and not the way that he twisted things. Uh, he was a great manipulator and, I, for one, loved how Michael turned it around in the throne room later on. Yeah, no doubt. That was a that was a great moment. Uh, the entire Burnham arc yesterday for me was fantastic. The escape through the Jeffrey's tube slide, which mm-hmm. was amazing, and then hanging out in the Jeffrey's tube. And, and I like that Ted Sullivan kind of compared it to Die Hard, which I didn't pick up on until I saw after Trek when he, when he referenced that, because it really didn't hit me like, oh, it does feel like Die Hard in that. She didn't have and a lighter though, so it wasn't quite the same. It's <laughs> it's funny that you bring that up because I actually do have a Die Hard reference later in my notes, so All that's right. good to see that uh, that he was on the same page. I like that. Um, I'm not going to claim to be as good a writer as Ted. No, that's for sure. <laughs> but you're right, of course. The the end switch where she turns the table on him, and you know it ends up with his demise. But it, his whole the, looking back, and I can't wait for my next rewatch. I've already watched every one a few times but to rewatch it in its entirety when we know how you know what Lorca's actual intentions and motives were it's going to be really interesting to pick up on all those little things yeah absolutely uh barry you mentioned uh in your opening comments whether it's a thumbs up or not uh about fate and destiny um and creating your own path Expand on that a little bit more because we saw that that um, each person had their own belief in whether or not it was destiny or whether or not you create your own path when you're looking at Lorca versus Michael. What are your thoughts on that? Very, very interesting exchange of dialogue. 
it you know it really was and and you see that also in in the way Georgiou actually I'll start with her the way she responds to to Burnham when they're at that sort of kill bill table um looking at the the spore orb that that's there and she says you know the way you're saying this I, I almost believe you right and and I think mm-hmm. that's that's the big difference here is that when you when you realize that maybe nothing is is for sure maybe nothing is is going to just happen for you that that maybe you 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 see a reason to fight for things a little bit more and i'm not saying that that Lorca didn't fight really hard for what he wanted but he he was fighting for for what he felt he deserved versus burnham fighting for those who she loved and i think you know she we can get into maybe some of the the issues she has parentally with with Georgiou. she's just rescued the wrong person i think but I think when you when you look at Lorca feeling like he is owed the empire, he feels like that, you know, oh, well, this person has done this terribly and I will automatically do a better job just by by dint of being myself, you know, I, I will kind of get into this a little later when we look into the uh, the the look at humanity. But that sort of conceit is is really what what does bring people down because once something really doesn't go their way look what they're willing to sacrifice right like he's just cutting a swath through his own loyal loyal mutineers and he doesn't care he doesn't care even that that burnham isn't burnham right or his burnham i guess right it's it's what right. he's owed and that makes everyone else sort of disposable and i i don't like hanging out with people like that well, you know, it's funny as as we're watching the episode yesterday and and Discovery gets back to our universe, I'll call it, a, a thought popped into my head and it all had, a, a couple of thoughts popped in and it all had to do with the counterparts of the people that we had seen over in the mirror universe. So I'll start with you, G- uh, Jim. Uh, where do you think our Lorca is? Do you think that he's alive? Do you think he's dead? Um, I, I, I sincerely hope that Jason Isaacs is not gone from the cast of the show because he is simply remarkable portraying Gabriel Lorca. Um, but we, we don't know. And, and I'm kind of wondering what you think about that. Well, I think, I think it's actually pretty clear. I love the reference of the ion storm and the transporter malfunction that that got Lorca into the prime universe. I mean, that was such a great callback. So, but that tells me he switched place with Lorca with the prime Lorca and the prime Lorca went explodey on the Baran as uh, the mirror Lorca was entering the prime. So that's, that's what I think happened until at some point, some clever writer or story thread comes up in the Star Trek writer's room and they decide, Oh, we could actually bring back prime Lorca. So until that happens, I think prime Lorca is dead on the Baran in the mirror universe. Okay. That brings up an, an interesting question, and Barry, I'll pose it to you. If that's what happens, uh, we saw it in Mirror Mirror and TOS, where when they were transporting, the counterparts were transporting. So when Lorca was transporting, counterpart Lorca was transporting. They've already talked about the fact that they think that the Mirror Discovery went to our universe when the our universe Discovery went to the Mirror Universe. Is anybody confused yet? Because I might be confused. I'm not. So question. <laughs> Excellent. So, Barry, did the Mirror Universe version of the Discovery help with the Klingons winning the war that they all saw or that we all saw at the end of the episode last night? 
Captain Killy betrayed us all. That's what I believe. That's what I think. She looked at the Federation and went lame and decided to get on board with the Klingons. And that is the problem. That or, or I don't know, maybe she just decided to to go completely nuts and, and take out, like, I mean, the Discovery is not only a magnificent research vessel, it is also a horrifying killing machine. Isn't it funny how that connection can happen? No, I am very, very worried that they are going to be coming head-to-head and toe-to-toe with Captain Killy Tilly, and she is not going to be terribly friendly. Oh, so you're of the opinion that the discovery from the Mirror Universe is still in the Prime? Oh, well, you know what? Thinking about it, maybe not. Um, Unless she got, like, taken out of the ship or something. Yeah, maybe she she ended up zipping back when that happened. But I'm guessing she probably caused some trouble. Actually, to be perfectly okay. honest, this is just wish fulfillment because I think um, uh, Mary Wiseman kicked some amazing butt just yeah. <laughs> portraying this this character. And I know you guys have spoken about just what a talent she is, but uh, she, is, yes. she, is, she is a joy to, to watch just I mean, I, I, I probably, I would probably be happy watching her just like going through files on the mycelial network or something, just humming to herself. She is, she is amazing. So let me ask you this, Jim, you said you weren't confused. So I'm going to try to confuse you because it's something that <laughs> I've confused myself with, uh, when thinking about it. Do you think that it is predestined, so to speak, that when the, our discovery was ready to make the jump back to ours, that the discovery from the mirror universe was doing the exact same thing? Or do you think it's tied together that when one does it, the other one's going to no matter what, and it's all part of the network? Because we saw that happen in TOS's Mirror Mirror, and we, we heard about it happening here on Discovery. It's just kind of interesting that everything just seems to always, quote unquote, fall into place just at the right time. Right, but in DS9, most of the mirror... Uh, transferences did not involve their counterparts True. going. So I think mm-hmm. it could be either way. I, I and I will, you know, I don't. I hate spoilers, and I don't watch previews. I do watch the extended scene they they show on After Trek every week because that's usually at the beginning of the show and it's got full context. It, I mean, if you haven't seen that, I don't know if I should talk about it yet because it is a little bit of a spoiler. But that extended scene they showed tells me that. The discovery was running rampant out there in the uh, in the prime universe, and, and I don't think they joined the Klingons, but I think I don't I don't know, but they're obviously the Federation is not happy with the mirror discovery, and that's what's happening there. They they score a lot of own goals, I think. <laughs> yeah. So so, my, so the answer to the question is I don't know if it could be either way. It could have gone back, or it could still be there. Who knows. Well, I don't think it'd be a spoiler to talk about it. Um, uh, why don't you let us know what actually happened in that extended scene from a high level um, to give us kind of an idea of what we can expect. Now, I know that in the coming next week preview, they showed a very brief image of the la, Admiral la, la, beaming la, I can't hear you. the bridge <laughs> with her phaser drawn. So, <laughs> yes, that was the scene. Uh, that was that was the scene. Okay. So, and it was, and then basically huh. she barked a few orders and made and was basically making it clear she took command of the ship and she's making it clear that she thinks that's the mirror discovery and a bunch of bad people who are, and maybe she doesn't know it's the mirror, but she thinks it's a discovery that's in some way or shape or form betrayed the Federation. That's what it seems like. And so she takes command and they're all saying, Hey, Whoa, Whoa, Admiral, we're here. We're ready to help. And then they cut. So, so I think, 
And, and by the way, there's another option is that it was destroyed. You know, the mirror discover the mirror discovery could have been destroyed. So could be there, could have gone back, could be destroyed. Who knows? We'll find out in a week. I'm sure we will find out in a week. Uh, we have not been given any um, loose threads that have not been answered yet. I don't think so. I, I have faith in the writing staff. W- one other thing I wanted to talk about uh, with relation to what's past his prologue is the Culber connection. Uh, he brought, he brought us home. Uh, I think is the best way to put it. Um, of course he brought us home a little bit too far, which I thought was an interesting little twist. And the Klingons have now won the war. Uh, Jim, nine months, how are they going to set that straight? What are they going to do? Do you see a reset button? Yeah, I, I'm really curious if they're going to do something where they have to go back and take up that nine months or they're just going to move forward from this nine month point. And I think nine months is kind of the perfect, it could be either one. I mean, it could easily be that, Hey, they're nine months now and this, and they're carrying forward from that point on. So it could go either way, but back to the Colbert thing. I think the Colbert storyline in not only what's past his prologue, but a vaulting ambition and how he really was the key to guiding Stamets to bring the ship home was absolutely beautiful. I think his uh, open your eyes line that was in so prominent in vaulting ambition and then equally as key in, in, uh, in this episode was uh, so emotional. I love that moment and I love what they did with, with those characters. I'm not crying. You're crying. I, I was crying. So <laughs> yeah, <me> especially <laughs> in vaulting ambition, when he said, open your eyes, I think that's one of the more powerful moments I've seen in Trek in a long time. It was really, really well done. Yeah. One of the things that I've been very disappointed, not disappointed, that's not the right word, is is I just don't want Culber to be gone. I don't want him to be dead. And 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 we've seen uh, Mr. Cruz talk about things on Twitter about keep the faith, keep watching. Uh, I just I hope somehow if there is a reset button, which I know some people don't like, the reset button could be enough that that might not happen because we, of course, remember what Tyler did. And speaking of Tyler, Barry. Um, we didn't see him this week. We didn't see Laurel this week. Uh, what's going to happen here? You know that they're going to be featured next week. We saw it in the coming attractions. And with the Klingons pretty much taking over the Alpha Quadrant, we know that we're going to start back to basics with what we saw in the be- beginning of the season with the Klingon War. Yeah, and I don't want to get too much into a long-range scan here, but obviously I think uh – Ash, Voke, Will, and Laurel will will play just vital roles in in the coming the coming time. And yeah, whether or not we we just work our way back from nine months of really 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 bad um, discovery own goals and and just problems with the Klingons, or they decide to go back in time, we need to see both. Uh, we need to see both Ash, Voke, and Laurel tie this up because I think they end up having to be the key to uh, to all of this and. I don't necessarily know if if Laurel's going to be the, the the good person in this. Um, I worry that she's actually the bigger villain of them all. Like Lorca is definitely a terrible villain who did a lot of terrible things, but she's she's just as single minded, and I'd say twice as twice as ruthless. Yeah, the, the interesting thing about Laurel is just fine. It's just what's her role going to be? Like you just said, Barry. Yeah, it could be could be. I mean, she could be the the bad guy, quote unquote, that's a terrible term, but, or, or she maybe plays a role in, in helping them. So we'll see. You know, I, I had a chance to talk with, uh, with some other, other folks about this and, and I wondered, you know, 
the Klingons always come off as sort of the bad guys in TOS, and they're they're definitely a typecast crew of of aliens at the time. And of course, we have watched them through the last fifty years become such a vast and diverse people. And I, I see that diversity within Laurel, and I wonder, and I'm hopeful that we do see that the good in her because we've seen the good in Klingons, right? I mean, Martok, Gowron, Worf, even you know. Even even some of the the bad guys, you know, like General Chang and stuff. There's there's good in them. They're Klingon, and and they have that sense of honor. And I I hope that maybe that's the other big exploration that's going to take place. Yep. Guys, one other thing I wanted to bring up about this week's episode, kind of an opinion question. And and uh, Jim, I'll start with you, and then Barry right after Jim. Uh, do you think that this is the end of the mycelial network? Because we know that it's not around by the time TOS. Uh, comes along we saw that it was dying at the beginning of this episode but then by the end of the episode it was healing do you think that this is something that they're going to be able to wrap up in the next two episodes or do you think it'll continue along in season two and again i don't want to get into long-range scans specifically but i'm just curious based on what we saw last night yeah i i don't think it's the end of the mycelial network they made it you know pretty it was emphasized and they made it a key point that it was coming back to life and, and, uh, and not being destroyed anymore. So I just think the access to the mycelial network is what's going to be the question mark in terms of, uh, the spores. So I I don't know. It's, I'm fascinated by that whole storyline. And I think they've, these last two episodes with Stamets and Colbert and the mirror Stamets in there as well. Uh, was really fascinating and helped crystallize kind of that whole vision that I, I think might have been Brian Fuller's from the start because it sounds like that was a key element of uh, some of his original planning. So, yeah, I'm I'm sort of of the of a similar thing that I don't think the the mycelial network is going to go away, perhaps, but I think we might get sort of a, a better a better telling of uh, of force of nature from TNG, where they're like, oh, we have right. to go to we have to go to like special warp speeds now, or else we're going to rip space time apart. And I think that that's probably going to be the directive that's going to be taken by by our fine friends in the Federation. And one other little thing that I've never forgotten is those black badges and nobody's better at making things disappear than section 31. And (laughs) I personally think that those black badges were section 31 and they're going to look at all this and go, okay, well this was definitely a a trail down the wrong road. We're going to shut this down completely. Tal Shiar aren't going to know about it. The obsidian order aren't going to know about it. And sure as as the sun shines or any sun shines, the Federation is not going to know about it. We need to shut this down because it is too much. I think it's too much that you brought in Tal Shiar, Obsidian Order, and Section 31 all in the same sentence. I am about to pass out. <laughs> uh, great, great discussion, guys. Uh, I love the thoughts. I love the opinions. Each week we reserve this special time to reflect on those who we've lost in this week's episode of Star Trek Discovery. It's the somber part of our show, but we feel it's the least we can do for those who have paid the ultimate price. We like to call it the Red Shirt Roll Call. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. He's dead, Jim. Discovery is a Star Trek show where we will lose crew and we will lose characters. That much is certain. Barry, uh, this may take a while because the body count was high, 
But who can we say goodbye to in episode 13, What's Past is Prologue? Well, I think, yeah, we've definitely hit a bit of a lightning round by way of body count. So I'm going to kind of lump some together here. No disrespect, but we have countless crew members on the Charon by gas and more of the Charon crew and Lorca's mutineers in the hallway in that gunfight. Thank you, hallway laser guns. We have the loss of Mir Commander Oiseken, who was really just doing her job. Mir Stamets, not allowed to have his poetic end. We have more mutineers in the throne room of the Charon when they get schooled in the ways of fighting. And f- we also have Mir Landry. We hardly knew, year, knew ye. Double red shirt award to her, I would say. We lose Lorca, and boy, did he look bitter as he dissolved. Bet you he didn't see that in his destiny. And finally, we lose the Charon. Good night, sweet ship. May a flight of angels sing thee to a possible fansets pin design. Oh, very nice. You could have cut a corner there and said, uh, everybody on the Charon except for Burnham and Georgiou. <laughs> I stick by my red shirt roll call. <laughs> we never found out how many people were actually on. But anyway, we stand and we raise a glass of Synthahol in their honor as we say goodbye in this week's Red Shirt Roll Call. This week's episode is brought to you by Fansets, the exclusive sponsor for Discovering Trek. Fansets has an exclusive offer for our Discovering Trek listeners. Just enter the discount code 9MONTHS. That's the number 9, M-O-N-T-H-S, all capital letters, except, of course, for the number, at your checkout for 10% off your entire order. This code will be available for use until Sunday, February the 4th, 2018 at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. So, Barry, let me ask you this. As someone who isn't on the show every week, uh, as a guest or a co-host, let's get it straight from you. Bill and I talk all the time about the quality of these pins and the solid feel as well as the attention to detail that the folks over at Fansets put into each and every pin. Uh, would you agree with that statement? And how would you put that in your own words, my friend? Well, Dan, before STLV, I had only heard a bit about Fansets. And what I saw was fantastic when I when I met them at their booth. The first pin I got actually was the STLV 2017 pin. It's the one with data, and it's like a poker chip, and he's got his little green visor, mm-hmm. and it kind of sparkles really nicely. And I cherish that, not just for its sheer artistry, but also for its sentimental value. And so since then, I've collected, let's say, tons of pins. Um, They adorn my office here. I'm looking at a cork board full of them. Uh, My classroom where I teach, uh, the lapel pins of my, uh, their lapel pins for my blazers. I have attracted the attention of students and fellow staff. I've also managed to get the TNG 30 crew pin set. And it's one of my prized possessions hanging uh, in a frame next to my picture with me and my Michael Doran drinking prune juice in 10 forward. So like each pin, it captures the distinctiveness of the ships, the characters, and even the franchise. Cause some, some of my teaching friends have their Harry Potter pins up as well. So no, also one last thing. It, this is a small business run by genuine people who put their heart and soul into their work. And that means a lot to me. So that, that's why I'm an avid collector of these fan set pins. They are fantastic fan sets. A set for every fan and a fan for every set. See their entire line of fansets.com. And as always, we thank our friends at Fansets for being our exclusive sponsor for the entire season of Discovering Trek. Of all the souls I have encountered in my travels, his was the most 
Human. Star Trek has always been a reflection of our times, and in this segment, we're going to take a look at what this episode helps us discover about humanity, or perhaps even what it tells us about ourselves. Jim, we've talked the last few weeks about how the mirror universe sometimes makes it difficult to pick up things to talk about in this segment. Uh, Did you have a problem with it this week? And if not, let's hear what you got to say about humanity, my friend. No, I think my, I mean, I think there was a pretty big takeaway. I talked about a little bit earlier, but I love this great reveal about the, this mycelial power source again. And it, and it's both in terms of kind of the contrast for the way the Federation was using the mycelial network, you know, in terms of like co-opting with it and being a part of it, as opposed to just abusing it, stealing energy and not worrying about the fact that they were, they were killing it and depleting it in a way that wasn't going to be replenished. But so, so the switch for me on this is that, is that, you know, not only, I mean, obviously there's a uh, conservationism, conservationism uh, message there that was pretty clear and feels a lot like a great Star Trek topic, but I I really like the way that it also kind of switched and had this uh, theme in terms of society and what it means to be part of of a society so that you're not just thinking about yourself in the now and, you know, the way many, uh, the way many politicians and, and the way you think in terms of the next vote or the lobbyist is, as opposed to thinking about what's the right thing to do for our society and what's the best thing for, for the people in that society. So I just, I think, I think that was uh, I really liked that message because I think it was more than just the, the conservationalism that, that was there. So, and, and I think you've seen that throughout the series. So it's, a, it's this whole contrast of, of uh, the contrast of ideals that, that you've seen with a certain group of people who think, you know, in terms of a certain way about class and status as opposed to, to the Federation. And you've seen that literally within like Georgiou versus Takuvma. You've seen it with Cole versus Laurel. You've seen it with the Federation versus the Klingons and Discovery versus the Mirror Universe and Lorca literally against everybody. So that was my big takeaway. I really thought that was a, a smart addition that they had in this episode and that paid off for the whole series. I think that's one of the things that I like most about the writing of this show is that is not something that, that even remotely came into my mind when thinking about the segment for humanity and, and you nailed it, man. It was very well done. I like the ideas that you brought. Uh, I'm going to give you two thumbs up for your humanity segment today. So Barry, (laughs) uh, you got a tough one to follow, but uh, what have you got for this week? Yeah, I, I, I want to kind of echo some of those some of those um, things that, that Jim said here. I, and I'm going to kind of frame it around Lorca because he refers to the Federation as a childish ideal. And listening to Jim's show, he always says infinite diversity and infinite combinations. And I think that truly is sort of a mantra. Like we are Star Trek fans, Trekkers, Trekkies, whatever you want to call us. But, you know, when, when you see us together, we really are united under an ideal. And I think that that transcends politics in a lot of ways. 
But uh, the way Lorca says, he's like, oh, it's this childish ideal and that people feel safer when they know their place. And to be perfectly straight up, these are the words of every slave owner, every sadistic ruler, every abusive person in power, every totalitarian. Lorca is right that people will trade freedom for security, but that comes from a state of fear. And it's one that must be engineered and cultivated like it is in the mirror universe. So Lorca clearly ran the prime discovery through intimidation. He's making researchers and explorers into soldiers and fighters. And the worst part is he's boasting of this. Sometimes they have to, right? Sometimes you have to defend yourself, but he's feeling entitled to his station. And I mean, we don't really need a Terran to show us that Trek has shown us those in Starfleet who are merely Starfleet in name alone, but he played his crew's sensibilities towards the hierarchy that they respect. You know, like the Federation has this hierarchical structure and it's one where authority can and will often be obeyed without question, but it's not out of fear. It's out of trust. And I think that's because Federation officers in Starfleet are comfortable in the notion that those with specific abilities occupy positions that fit their skill set and will perform their duties in the spirit of the ideals that they believe in. Not that they're entitled to any of this power or prestige. I mean, look at Picard, look at Janeway, right? Acting as Lorca does only takes and it never gives. And it's much like the mirror universe taking from the mycelial network, as Jim said. In fact, it, it is. It ends up being completely destructive and it affects much more than just the mirror universe, right? Stamet says it's going to take everything down if they don't stop. So when you look at the way Discovery solves this problem, it's through how the Federation oper- operates. It's cooperative. It's encouraging. It's not being ruthlessly competitive, which, you know, may seem childish, but it satisfies a sustainable long-term equilibrium. So I do think it's fitting that Lorca meets his fate by falling into the thing that his people were exploiting and his entitlement was his downfall and getting the upper hand never achieves the lasting positive results of going hand in hand. I think Bill can clean out his desk when he gets back. <laughs> uh, Barry, that was that was wonderful. I, I'm I'm listening to you say this, and and I'm just like, wow, he's good. Wow, he's good. Excellent Politrix, job. Politrix is available in all fine podcasting retailer. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. You know, I when I sat down to to write my notes for this segment, I had a feeling that that Jim or Barry would would talk about Michael and Philippa or Michael and Lorca for this segment. Um, I loved what they came up with. Uh, I thought they, they were both brilliant uh, topics. I knew as soon as the scene ended last night that I would be talking about Saru here. And as with last week's episode, a non-human gave me the spark to reflect on my own humanity and our own humanity. Uh, his speech encapsulated the good parts of humanity, which is something sadly I haven't focused on very much this season during this segment. Uh, It's been very dark stuff that we've talked about, and especially the last couple of weeks with the mirror universe. Saru's ability to bind a group of people towards that common goal and a positive goal at that. It's something that we should all strive to do in our lives, especially in today's world when we see all the things that's happening in our country and around the world on a daily basis. We see a fraction of ideology and beliefs and opinions these days, and it's like a dark cloud is hanging over our head all the time. And I think that the crew of the Discovery had a dark cloud hanging over their heads for most of the season because they seem to not have a common goal 
or something worth striving for other than to stay alive. And Saru was able to bring his crew, and I say his crew, together. And you could just see on every crew member's face that they believed in him. They believed in what he was saying. And more importantly, they believed in themselves and were going to win the day, save the mycelial network, and get home. I just love how the writers of Discovery are able to bring the best of humanity to the forefront with a character who isn't even human. It shows that we as humans have a lot to learn, but I think we're on the right track. Here, here. Yeah, I love that. My favorite part of that speech is, I think it might right at the opener when he says, Lorca abused our idealism. Mm-hmm. Uh, that just, as soon as he said that, it just hit home. Like, oh my God. It was just he totally amazing, did. an amazing it, moment. It was a great way to summarize it. And yeah, that speech was amazing. And I am going to talk about Michael and Philippa in my Starfleet combination. <laughs> well, excellent segue, Jim. I like that very much. It's not, you know, oh, you've been doing okay. this podcasting thing for a little while, I think now. Uh, no no one's fooled better than me. <laughs> it is time for Starfleet commendations. And as every week, we're going to pick one, two or three things that we want to specifically call out with the episode, whether it's characters, performances, scenes, anything you want, uh, just really brief shout outs. And uh, I'm going to start this week and, and my first shout out and my biggest shout out this week has to go to Ted freaking Sullivan. You know, Ted, you have given us a Star Trek story that, in my opinion, leapfrogs up to one of the greatest Star Trek episodes of all time. It is unbelievably written. You did such a great job writing it. It has action. It has meaning. And it had Star Trek. That's what's the important part here. Saru's speech is my favorite moment of this entire season, and nothing even comes close to it. Everything in this episode made me smile, from the nice little TOS callback with the Ion Storm bringing Lorca to our universe, to the diehard scene crawling through the Jeffries tube with Michael Burnham, which we talked about at the beginning of the show. You know, for too long, we've listened to the naysayers of the show say, this isn't our Star Trek. And I've always been of the belief that the story being told is how these characters get to, air quote, our Star Star Trek. With this episode, you could literally see the crew become a family bound together by a single goal, which never could have happened with Mira Lorca still in command of the Discovery. And the crew of the Discovery will never be the same. And I mean that in the most positive of ways. And that is due to your brilliant writing, sir. And I hope that this is something that you are very, very proud of. Uh, My second commendation this week is to Doug Jones. Uh, From that same speech scene. Oh my God, Doug, 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 Doug. Uh, In my mind, Saru is now the captain of the Discovery. His growth in the last few episodes has just been amazing, and it peaked with that speech. Uh, What I find so amazing is that Doug is able to give this speech filled with such emotion and such drive while he's covered in latex. And that just shows what an amazing actor he is. And in my opinion, deserves an Oscar knob for the shape for the shape of water, but that's another discussion for another time. Uh, Doug's vocal inflection, his body movements, his eyes—all of this shows what an incredible actor Doug is. Because he has to project infinitely more because he's encased in this plastic all the time. Uh, he just blew me away. 
uh, in every scene he was in, especially uh, the speech scene. His ability to command on the bridge and his ability to pull a crew together showed that he deserves to lead these people going forward. And it's because of Doug Jones that Saru is able to do this. So congratulations, Doug. And um, who wouldn't have this on their commendation list this week? And that has to be the fisticuffs in the throne room. Brilliantly directed <laughs> by uh, Olutundi uh, Usun Tsunami. I hope I'm getting that correct. Uh, and and I apologize that I don't know who did the actual choreographing of those fight sequences, but it was brilliantly done. And I would love to shake that person's hand or maybe just even give him a big old bear hug because it was really fun to watch. Um, I can only imagine the amount of takes for different camera angles that all of the actors had to do. And they were brilliant. And hats off to Michelle Yeoh and Sonequa Martin-Green and Rekha Sharma and Jason Isaacs for just fantastic job in that barroom brawl. It was, it was a th- the stuff of legends. Uh, those are my commendations. I had a lot to say, but I think it was worth it because it was such a great episode. So, Jim, what do you got this week? Well, only three? Only three? <laughs> uh, I need more. Uh, so you, you, I'm actually going to harp on two of the things that, that you said, but in a little bit different way. It, Saru in command, and I'm not just talking about is my number one commendation. And not just when he yells fire, but all of those moments with the speech, obviously. And then when he's barking orders on the bridge crew about getting in position and being ready and looking for alternatives. I just that was awesome. And and I just think Discovery's done a great job of showing captains in command on bridges, making tangible decisions that are impacting strategies and the things they're doing, whether it's Lorca or Georgiou or now Saru or even Burnham. So I, I love that uh, way they've presented that on Discovery, and then so you mentioned the uh, the bat, the fight at the end in the throne room, and for me it's the parallels with Philippa and Burnham is what I want to highlight, and I think so not only with Philippa carrying around Burnham's uh, uh, Delta Delta badge uh, com badge that I, that. I thought that was fantastic when, when I saw her with that. And then all of a sudden they're on the bridge and they're fighting again. And I'm thinking about the battle of the binary stars where it's the exact same thing is happening. Here's George and Burnham having a parallel fight to what happened at the beginning. And she could not get, uh, she could not get George out of the sarcophagus ship and she, and in this time she was going to get her out and she did. And I think that sets up an amazing final little twist here of what they're going to do with Georgiou in the, in the prime universe. So, so I love that. And by the way, I think Burnham's corner of the markets on dramatic beam outs of bridges, <laughs> whether it's battle of the binary stars or into the forest I go when she was taken down coal and now uh, what's past is prologue. So I love that. So those are my, my two big accommodations I just wanted to highlight in terms of the, the production and in this story that uh, Discovery is just nailed across the board. So so you complain that you only had three and then you only gave two. <laughs> but they were both good. I could go on and on. I could go on and on. That's all right. I've we got to kind of hit on most of them. They're both they're both great. Let's let uh, okay. let's let one Barry more. have one oh. more, one more, when, one more. Okay. When Mirror Stam when Mirror Stamets wakes up and says, "Gabriel, I hoped you were dead." <laughs> <laughs> nice. 
Nice. Great moment. Okay, Barry, let's hear it. All right. Yeah, this is going to definitely do some repeats here, but uh, my first commendation has to go to Michelle Yeoh. Entertainingly, guys, she is a trained ballerina and is not quote-unquote, officially trained in martial arts. She actually suffered a spinal injury at a young age, but relied on her ballet dancing discipline to create the, like, the stunning fight choreography that you've seen in like Crouching Tiger and and now and, and whatnot. So since she's trained actually like with like guys like Jackie Chan, so obviously she could kick all three of us, all three of our butts at once. Um, and she's just so much fun to watch too. Like what a talent. Um, but actually, uh, just so you know, Dan, I did find out who the fight coordinator was. It's a guy by the name of Hubert Border, and he did stunt work on 300 and Kick-Ass, and I'm oh. pretty sure you can kind of see some some connective tissue there. He's definitely brought his previous his previous work there. Now, um, he was like one of the stunt workers in those, and this one he gets to be a stunt coordinator, and I think they made the right hire. Let's just put it that way. Let me ask you this, Barry, before we continue on with your, your with your shout outs. One of the things I loved so much about these this fight sequence is in a lot of it, they would do like a speed up of something and then back down to regular speed. Like when uh, Georgiou threw the dagger and, and into uh, Lorca's shoulder. Um, is that something that you've seen with his work before where they do that fast to not slow motion, but to regular speed? Absolutely. Both, both 300 and kick-ass have that. Um, again, like he wasn't the official stunt coordinator for those two movies. He was one of the people who worked on it, but you Mm -hmm. can see him taking what he's learned and applying it and adding his own flavor to it. So yeah, I mean, uh, here's to, here's to some more uh, of of his Uh, work in the future. Awesome. So my other one is Saru. Um, I mean, obviously his arc is so very Star Trek and, Doug Jones has shown me a side. I have never seen him in his acting. I mean, I've known him from other other shows. Uh, I actually just a quick shout out to when he was in Buffy the Vampire Slayer when he was one of the gentlemen and just how much he terrified me. <laughs> but he incorporated his physicality into a character with as much texture and depth as the personality as well. So yeah, Jim, you mentioned it when he yelled. I would actually say he roared fire. We saw a captain, right? He's claiming his spot in the pantheon of great captains with yep. his speech on the uh, about engaging the Charon and about trusting his crew. Like this is Starfleet. This is Star Trek. And for anyone out there who's like, this isn't my Star Trek. Sorry, it's indisputable to me. And <laughs> it's, uh, it's very, very wonderful. And I guess the final one is usually I watch, uh, Star Trek on my tiny little six-year-old computer monitor, and I got to watch it on a HD TV finally. So needless to say, I was captivated by all the amazing special effects. So my hat goes off to the tireless crew of Discovery's VFX department. And also thanks to the Rose family of Ridge Valley, Alberta for lending me their TV, satellite feed, and basement for the night and supper. Thanks for supper. So those are mine. Supper is always good. Uh, yeah. I love I love accommodations every week because we usually get such a a hodgepodge of different things, and and this week was no different. Well done, gentlemen. Long range scan of planet complete. So it is time to look forward into the orb of time, guys, and uh, we're going to get your thoughts on what we think is going to happen. We only have two episodes left in the season, and then we have to wait. And that is not something I'm looking forward to. So, Barry, let's start with you. And uh, two episodes left. Klingons look like they're in good shape. What do you think is going to happen? Well, um, 
First of all, the thought of there only being two episodes left fills me with a great sense of dread uh, and sadness, but I think we're really going to have to deal with this time dilation. Personally, I think they're going to go back in time. Uh, the crew's already said they believe in no-win scenarios, so I think that's the best way to get it done. And I'm guessing, like I said, Ash and Laurel will figure very heavily here. Maybe not as helpers. Ash, I think, still has choices to make, but either way, I'd say Discovery is headed back nine months to change things. That's been what I would say. They only have two episodes to do this. So, you know, if it ends on a cliffhanger, Dan said he'd punch Bill. So I'm looking forward to talking to Bill about uh, how his arm's doing later. No, no, no. Dead in the face. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you just you just say your face and that'll be it. <laughs> oh, no. I I also feel that Georgiou is going to be a real thorn in Burnham's side. Uh, Turns out that Burnham's greatest weakness is actually her regret. She misses her mom. So, you know, this problem is is she might look like her mom, but it's not. So I also think that uh, Burnham tends to find herself caught up with people who aren't themselves, I guess is the best way to put that. So, yeah, I don't know. Maybe the Klingons will see something in Georgiou too. That's That's where I'm at. Yeah, I have to agree with you there, um, especially with the whole uh, Georgiou thing. Uh, I've been three for three since the mid-season break, so I, I really don't want to push my luck. And I'm kind of finding it a little hard to come up with a prediction. Uh, obviously, that crew needs to find a way to go back nine months to straighten things out. So I think they're going to do that. Um, and it'll be interesting to see how it is done so that it doesn't you know, screw up other timelines and this, that, and the other thing. Uh, and and I I gotta agree with you, Barry. I think bringing Georgiou back to our universe was a was a mistake, and I think it's going to be a problem for Michael. She has to get over that emotional loss of her Georgiou because this is not her Georgiou, and I think that's going to come back to bite her. Uh, Jim, as the soothsayer of this here podcast, what have you? Well, not much of a soothsayer. I don't really do predictions that much or fan theories. I just. I don't want to bring any expectations to what I'm about to see. I just try not to even think about what's coming. So I always, uh, you know, I'm always just on board with whatever, wherever the creators want to take me, I am on board and I am totally on board for what Aaron Harberts and Gretchen Berg and Ted Sullivan are doing. So I will say the things I'm looking forward to seeing are the Laurel and Ash and how that's going to play out. I'm fascinated by this mirror, Philippa, and uh, Burnham's decision to to bring her over. And then I also am looking forward to seeing what's going to happen with this time travel conundrum, whether they they reset and and go back or if they're just going to pick up and carry on here from, from nine months. So those are all just good questions that I'm waiting for answers on in these last two episodes. Can't wait. Okay, one prediction is that these last two episodes are going to be awesome. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. That's really stretching it out there. You're going out on a limb, aren't you? <laughs> That's all right. We'll take it. We'll take it. Dan, as always, we want to thank our friends at Fansets for sponsoring the entire season of Discovering Trek. Not only do they have incredible pins for Star Trek, but also all kinds of cool genres like Marvel, DC, and Harry Potter. Yeah, indeed they do, buddy. And they also have a very special Star Trek Discovery tie-in with the Season 1 Episode Pin Collection, which we have talked about every week. It's just amazing. Head right on over to EpisodePins.com and check out all the details on how you can have unique pins for each episode of Season 1. And I have a special announcement just in from the Fansets News Desk. 
Uh, I have been I have been told by a confirmed source, Barry and Jim, that the episode 15 season finale pin will be oversized, just like the gargantuan episode one pin. So looking forward to that. And sometimes bigger is better. Right, Barry? Truer words have never been spoken, Dan, especially when you're talking about pins from fan sets. And speaking of fan sets, it's time to give away some swag to a lucky listener. As you may recall, last week we wanted you to tweet your thoughts about episode 12 with a special hashtag. Well, we've taken all the great responses and would like to congratulate Steve Folks, uh, Twitter hashtag or Twitter handle at MyGhostWorld on Twitter. You have just won a Fansets portfolio carrying case, and that's fantastic because my corkboard is coming apart, so I might need to get one myself. So we'll be in touch so we can get this great accessory out to you. And remember, you also get to choose what color you want, pink, blue, or black. Awesome stuff. Congrats, Steve. Uh, as an owner of two of these portfolio cases, I can tell you that they are of the highest quality. Your pins will be safe. They won't fall out and they will be ready to show off at a moment's notice. So this week, it's another Twitter review for your chance to win some fan set pins. Uh, as with the last couple of weeks, we'd like you to send us a tweet to at Discovering Trek with your thoughts on episode 13 with the special hashtag Crispy Lorca for your chance to win a special captain set of pins in honor of who we thought was Captain Lorca. So what you're going to win, uh, this is a lot. This is, this is some good stuff. Every major captain in Star Trek history, including Kirk, Picard, Cisco, Janeway, Archer, Georgiou, and we're even going to throw in Lorca, even though he really wasn't a captain in our universe, kind of, not really. So next week, we're going to put together all your tweets. We're going to pick a winner, and we're going to uh, have someone very happy and adorning a lot of captains in their new portfolio case or broken corkboard like Barry. I want I want that. So yes, everyone, get your tweets out there by Monday, February 5th. Um, at 6 p.m. by 6 p.m. Eastern and good luck. And as always, thanks Fansets for being the exclusive sponsor of Discovering Trek. So guys, sadly, uh, next week is the penultimate episode of season one. I can't wait to see what's going to happen, but at the same time, I just don't want it to end. Uh, we're going to have all the details, breakdown and analysis of the war without the war within next week. And uh, maybe even a return of my illustrious number one, Bill Smith. But until then, Barry, dude, you know, I can't thank you enough for sitting in and helping me out with this week's episode. It's just been a blast. Congratulations to you and, and your new podcast, Politrex. Uh, it is a great show, my friend. And uh, I, I loved having you here with us. It's been a it's been a distinguished pleasure to join you too, Dan. And though not mellifluous like Bill, I hope the fine listeners of Discovering Trek found my tones at the very least cogent. Uh, also, Dan, <laughs> uh, we've made it easier for people to subscribe to subscribe to both Trek Geeks and Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery companion. If you head over to PodFleet.com, you'll find out how you can get both of the podcasts directly on your iPhone, iPad, Android, or on their device. Plus, you can even stream us podcasts or stream the podcast using Spotify, iHeartRadio, or Stitcher. Uh, it's your independent Star Trek podcast delivered your way. So join our pod fleet and make it so. Make it so indeed. Uh, Jim, my man, what can I say? You, sir, now hold the distinction 
of being the first repeat guest here on Discovering Trek, and I have a feeling it will not be your last, my friend. Uh, so where might listeners find you out in that mycelial network, or better yet, the uh, interweb nets thing? Well, first of all, thanks for having me back. I am listen to every episode and fired up to be able to, to come back on and talk about the, the beginning of discovery and now almost at, at the end. So, and you can uh, find me at enterprise extra on Twitter and at Trek ranks on Twitter. Trek ranks is the podcast that I've uh, started at the tricorder transmissions podcast network about a year ago. And it's a podcast about all the things that we love about Star Trek. That's all we do is talk about the reasons we love Star Trek and we use ranks as kind of the starting point to start that conversation. So it's just uh, no, no nitpicking and, and no worst of list, just all of our favorite things about Trek. Everything Trek is favorite in one way or another. And Hey, a belated happy birthday to you, sure. buddy. Uh, hope you had a good day. Thank and you. Uh, Thanks again for joining us. Well, folks, that's it for episode 13. Uh, I have a feeling the next two weeks are going to be simply amazing. And we thank you so much for spending a little bit of your day with us. And we look forward to the next time we can talk discovery with you until then. Here are some words of wisdom from Dr. Tristan Adams from the TOS episode dagger of the mind to all mankind. May we never find space so vast planets. So cold heart and mind. So empty that we cannot fill them with love and warmth. And until next week, never stop discovering. Music for Discovering Trek is provided by Five Year Mission. They're writing one song for each episode of the original Star Trek. Download their music at fiveyearmission.net. Discovering Trek, a Star Trek Discovery Companion, is a production of Trek Geeks. Executive producer Dan Davidson. For even more Star Trek discussion, check out the Trek Geeks podcast, available on Apple Podcasts and trekgeeks.com. <laughs>